Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash watsonassistant to learn more. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Has the bull finally met its match? Will this market be laid low by a toxic mix of inflation and higher interest rates? The house of pain. That's sure how it felt today with the Dow declining 83 points. S&P sinking 0.57%. NASDAQ losing 0.78%. And at one point, it was down substantially more than that. What gives? Thanks to a nasty combination of the yield and the 10-year Treasury approaching 3%, a series of disappointments in the consumer product space, some amazingly fast growth in personal and corporate spending, a rally in commodities, and a pickup in the trade war with China, we got hit with a flash flood of selling in a number of key groups, even as the averages rebounded nicely near the close. So let's unpack this parade of woes and figure out how low they can take us. First, the trade war with China is getting real ugly, as we knew it would. Uh, we put tariffs on steel and aluminum, both of which are just now starting to have some impact. Not much, but far more important is the action our government took against ZTE, the big Chinese cell phone company. They're not allowed to buy high technology from America for the next seven years. Last night, China struck back with the PRC's Commerce Department saying basically that it's going to block Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP Semiconductor on antitrust grounds. As far as I'm concerned... This is pure tit for tat. There's no real basis for this decision as Qualcomm and NXP have so little overlap. More on that later. It's totally arbitrary. It's totally capricious. That's the point, which is why this had such a devastating impact on a key leadership group, the semiconductor stocks. The group was already reeling from a slowdown in cell phone manufacturing. Read Apple, something that the gigantic Taiwan semiconductor blamed for a shortfall today. It didn't matter if a semiconductor company was a potential acquirer like Broadcom, Intel, Texas Instruments, or, of course, the epicenter of the blast, Qualcomm itself, or potential prey like analog devices, integrated device technology, Corvo, Skyworks Solutions, Cirrus Logic, or something in between like NVIDIA or Micron. They all got slammed. The selling extended to a second day of pain for semiconductor capital equipment companies, KLA 10 Core, Applied Materials, ASML Holdings, and LAM Research, which reported a very good number yesterday, but gave you guidance that suggested perhaps a second half blip in orders. The semis are a leadership group, no doubt about it, and so the tone was just plain jarring. The problem is, in a trade war with China, there simply aren't enough publicly traded winners. It's, uh, it's mostly steelmakers like Nucor, which gave a pretty great forecast. We'll hear from them later. Or an aluminum play like Alcoa, because the whole point is to protect these industries from unfair Chinese competition. But there are a lot of publicly traded losers. Rivaling the semis for pain, though, were the stocks of the consumer product companies. Procter and Gamble delivered subpar 1% growth and talked about some vicious competition, particularly in grooming. 
think Gillette. The stock got shelled, finishing down more than 3%. Pretty amazing for such a huge cap stock. Really nasty. Anyone in Procter's line of fire got mauled, too, as shareholders of Colgate and Kimberly-Clark know all too well. It didn't help that Morgan Stanley slapped an outright sell on Clorox, sell, sell, sell. which is a very well-run company. It called the valuation stretch. It's a lot less stretched now with the stock down 6% today. Even the tobacco companies got pounded, and we thought they were immune to this kind of thing. Philip Morris, PM, the huge international seller of Marlboro, reported a shocking decline in sales for its flagship brand, and the stock plummeted 15.6%. Altria got laid to waste, too, falling more than 6%. It's like the whole world suddenly realized that these companies make cancer sticks. Who knew? Oh, and there was disruption, too, as e-cigarettes are taking their toll on the fatal attraction to ordinary tobacco. When you're on these consumer products, uh, goods conference calls, oh, boy, they're so bad. You have a constant theme running through them, though, inflation. It usually centers on freight. We don't have enough drivers to take the raw goods to the factories or the manufactured goods to the store. Inflation is hard to ignore when oil is challenging 70 bucks. It's been on a tear. Of course, today is the day that oil investors chose to take profits, causing another group that had been a leader to take a breather. So you had this bizarre situation where the transports were going down with the grudging recognition of how oil has run. And the oil stocks were going down because oil couldn't maintain its miraculous move at a time when the U.S. is pumping like mad. Of course, there's also plenty of scuttlebutt about rising raw prices because of tariffs. Frankly, I don't think they have that much to do with the consumer packaged goods, but they get lumped into the conversation. Retail should be swell here. As we heard from American Express last night, the credit card use is way, way up. But the news didn't help the sector at all. It didn't because Jeff Bezos took this moment to crow about how there are 100 million Amazon Prime users now. That's deadly for brick and mortar. Throwing the collapse of Bonton, a venerable but distinctly Amazonable retailer, and it sends shivers down the spine of anyone who owns chain, uh, shares in any chain store. The ETFs that link them uh, ensure that no one was unscathed, even the ones that are doing incredibly well right now. While everyone's fretting about inflation, let's remember that the death star known as Amazon has been keeping prices at the retail level way down. And that's squeezing everybody's margins. That's how bonds can sell off with the yield on the 10-year headed toward 3% in a repeat of what caused this market to fall apart back in February. Right before, right before the Eagles won the Super Bowl, now immortalized by Super Bowl 52, a video about the run to the trophy that actually has me giving Coach Peterson a pep talk before a key early win against the Niners. Can you remember last Friday when people were lamenting how the bank stocks weren't worth owning because interest rates were too low? Suddenly rates are too high. And now we're worried about a fourth rate hike from the Fed this year to stem inflation. That's how the banks got their groove back today, led by J.P. Morgan. But there just aren't enough bank stocks to offset all the other carnage. Remember, higher rates may be good for banks, but they're bad news for everybody else, especially the home builders, which also got pulverized by a huge increase in the price of lumber. Suboptimal. You know what's particularly galling, though? On a day like today, it just upsets so many people. Money flows back to Fang. Remember how many times Fang's been pronounced dead? Amazon helped the cause, but we got a positive note about how we now expect Alphabet to report a miserable number. So if it does, then the stock could be off to the races. More about the races later in the show. Never forget, by the way, that the A in Fang, I coined it, is Amazon. It's not Apple. No, you know I like it. Apple was kneecapped by an iPhone obituary from Mizuho Research. And I was thinking, you know what, that's good because we haven't had one of those obituaries in a couple of weeks. We're overdue. You know me. I like to talk to people who stop me on the street to ask about stocks. A couple of guys came up to me uh, today and wondered if this was the end. The end. The end, my friend, the end. That's the second reference, by the way, in one month to Jim Morrison, whom I loved. I, on the other hand, settled on the politically pointed ball of confusion by the Temptations, a song that sadly remains much too relevant. 
Why confusion? Because if inflation were really so out of control, the banks would maybe be the last stocks to rally. So here's my bottom line. The consumer packaged goods haven't been safe for ages. But when rates are rising, their 3% yields really don't save you. Sure, there is a cell phone slowdown. No one's denying that. And yes, we got some inflation built in, chiefly oil. But you know what? A little inflation is not the end of the world. Not when it's a side effect of a robust economy and a strong consumer. Thank you again, America's Best, for that unique insight last night that caused your stock to roar 7.5% today. Overall, while I am cautious, we've got a huge, huge cash position for ActionLearnersPlus.com. Club members know that. I still think the positives outweigh the negatives. But the bull can't triumph every day. How about Calvin in my home state of New Jersey? Calvin! Hey, Jim. Ski Daddy, how are you? Man, the Ski Daddy be roaring. What's happening with you? Oh, everything's going excellent. And you know, my question is about the largest theatrical exhibition company in the U.S., I mean, with movies like The Black Panther breaking so many records and Avengers, Infinity War on deck, not to mention the dividend on the stock paying 4.5% and the opening of movie theaters in Saudi Arabia, I just want to get your thoughts on AMC theaters. Stock I think the stock's AMC. bottoming. I think it got oversold, and I think it's bottoming. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, of that, in part because I was recommending EPR, and that turned out to be terrible. That was not because of, of cinema. But uh, I, I think it's by putting in a bottom here. Let's go to Rich in Wisconsin, but he's rich. Hey, Jim, big booyah from Rich in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Green Bay. Yeah, this could be your year. I mean, I don't know. You cut one of my faves. But what's going on? Jim, with the recent downgrade by Goldman Sachs to sell and aluminum prices soaring, is this a good time for long-term investors to add to their positions in Pepsi on the pullback? Or do you see more pain ahead? I saw that Judith Hung downgrade to a sell from a hold for PepsiCo, and I'll tell you, I thought it was appalling. That said, look, I am, consumer packaged goods stocks are very, very tough. But we've owned PepsiCo from a chapel trust for years and years and years, and we're not going to sell it. And if it really gets hammered right now, we're going to buy some. That's my plan. Scott in New York. Scott. Hey, Jim. Booyah. There you go. What's going on? Uh, Jim, trading at about 10 and a half times next year's earnings and with a peg ratio of about one, have the earnings estimates on AutoZone finally come down far enough or will the Death Star eat its lunch? I, I think that the earnings have the estimates haven't come down enough. This is amazing. I mean, we just see these industries that we never thought could get Amazon and then they do. And we keep trying to pick the bottom. This company's bought back a huge amount of stock and I really like it. But I have shied away from when Amazon's out there firing because the force, the shields just don't protect anybody who's in a direct line of fire. Right, still a lot of confusion in the market. But we have a robust economy and a strong consumer. I am cautious. But the positives, I like them more than the negatives. Man, money tonight. It's off to the races when it comes to becoming the first trillion-dollar company on Earth. It's a close race. But I'll tell you which company could be the first to cross the finish line. And it might surprise you. Then, we open the new front in the trade war, and you might not even know about it. I'll reveal the companies that take a hit here. And I'm talking with the CEO of Nucor to see how steel tariffs are helping the economy. So, stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. It's a race to be the first trillion-dollar company. 
and the handicapping is beginning to show a very close contest. Right now, there are four companies running on this track. First, you got the putative favorite, Apple, with an $877 billion market capitalization. But Apple's followed by three companies that are bunched extraordinarily close together. Alphabet at $757 billion, Amazon at $754 billion, and Microsoft at $740 billion. Full disclosure, I owe the whole concept of the race to a, uh, to a trillion to Morgan Stanley, which just published a piece recommending Microsoft entitled Three Cube Preview, Milepost Along the Path to One Trillion. The analyst, incredibly good, Keith Weiss, put the idea in my head, even as he didn't speculate about the other three horses or who would cross the finish line first. That's me. Going into the race, when the horses were still in the paddock, Apple seemed like such a favorite that, well, it wasn't even worth betting on two bucks get you to ten. Sure enough, when they came out of the gate a month ago, the handicappers didn't even think it would be close. That's how big a lead Apple had on the field. Jockey Tim Cook looked like he was going to be winning, going away. But then we started to hear about cracks in the story around the first turn, namely that Apple's new iPhone 10 had tepid sales. So, uh, and it could possibly maybe be made up by the lucrative service revenue stream I like so much or the possibility of a gigantic return of capital, perhaps as large as $100 billion in the form of buybacks and dividends. And that has kept Apple in the lead at what I now regard as the race's midpoint. But this morning we got a piece of research from an outfit called Mizuho that shortened Apple's distance from the pack rather dramatically. I'd say a 10 for a long lead, cut to about five. The story, Mizzou says that it's just not the uh, the 10, I'm sorry, that's tepid. It's the eight, and the eight plus might miss two. Firm goes a step further and says that whatever money Apple returns to shareholders, well, that's already baked into the stock. Can Apple fade? Perhaps. More important, though, the other horses coming on strong. Last night, Amazon's jockey Jeff Bezos penned a note about how Amazon Prime now has 100 million, 100 million, 100 million paid Prime members globally. Bezos says the company has shipped more than 5 billion items and more members joined Prime than in any previous year. Amazon had been burdened by some heavy weight, namely a president who wants the company to deal with the U.S. Post Office to rip it up. Plus, Amazon doesn't collect taxes on the third-party sellers who are responsible for more than half of the units sold. The Supreme Court's considering the situation. If the president stops tweeting and the court rules in favor of third-party sellers, well, Amazon's lucrative web services business says stay strong. Trophy goes to Amazon. And you can't get out Microsoft either. Uh, Morgan Stanley points out that, and I quote, near-term results and guidance should support a path to $1 trillion market cap. And as a handicapper from way back, I, I have to agree. Jockey Satya Nadella here switched the company's focus from the slow-growing Windows products and enterprise software to the cloud, namely Microsoft's incredibly fast-growing Azure business, as well as its true LinkedIn acquisition. I like the prospects here from Microsoft. Finally, a stock that I always thought could one day be neck-and-neck neck with Apple if the latter slipped up, Alphabet has come back into the race after what can only be described as a series of lost races where it was hung on guidance. But today, Deutsche Bank comes out with a brilliant piece entitled, Google can beat a low bar in 1Q18, meaning first Q18, buy. The gist, Deutsche thinks that the hot money has gone elsewhere and the odds have gotten so long that you could have a dark horse backed by a potentially positive tone about Google Cloud, YouTube, and search. Yep, an inline quarter is what he's saying could push this stock well, let's say it could go to a photo finish using my metaphor. Who's going to win? Midpoint of the race, anything can happen. Right now, though, Amazon's the one that could break free, could break away from this three-horse pack to challenge Apple. Can it overtake the favorite? Not if Apple surprises the upside this quarter. But if it misses and Amazon delivers, the roses may very well belong to Jeff Bezos. 
Much more Mad Money Head, including my take on the new front in the trade war that seems to be heating up. Then there's a lot of naysayers when it comes to Trump's tariff plans. I'm talking to the CEO of one company who's welcoming the move. Don't miss my exclusive with new Corey after earnings. And what the heck happened to the stock United Rentals today? Company reported seemingly strong numbers, but the stock took a hit. So what gives? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Stick with Kramer. It might seem like the Trump administration's trade dispute with China has cooled down over the past couple of weeks. The president has certainly eased up on the incendiary rhetoric and the, let's say, uh, outrageous tweets. But I think that's a misreading of the situation. Instead, we've opened up a new front in the trade war. And while it's quieter than all the bombast about tariffs that, was people, that had people freaking out, there are still a ton of companies that can get hurt here, even as I think it's about time we defended ourselves from this rapacious trading partner. The new front in the trade war? Technology. Last night, I talked about the Commerce Department's recent decision to ban all sorts of component and software sales to ZTE, the big Chinese smartphone maker, and how this ruling eviscerated the stock of Acacia Communications, which is one of ZTE's largest suppliers. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Earlier this week, the Federal Communications Commission voted unanimously to move forward with a plan that would prevent federally subsidized telco companies, and by the way, that's most of them, from purchasing goods from suppliers that raise national security concerns, many some major Chinese players. And it's not like this is a totally one-sided issue. Early this morning, China decided to hit us back. The Chinese Ministry of Commerce announced that it's got some antitrust concerns about Qualcomm's acquisition of NXP semiconductors, even as this deal has been approved by every other relevant antitrust agency on Earth. I think it's pretty transparent. It's an attempt to retaliate for the actions our government took earlier this week. From a legal perspective, this is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever seen. But from a geopolitical perspective, it's a smart move. The Chinese know how to play hardball. They're showing they can hit us right where it hurts, in the stock market. As this ruling sent both the stocks Qualcomm and XP off 5%. Wow. In short, at least on the tech front, the trade war with China is getting pretty serious. And we need to think what else could be vulnerable if things keep escalating. First, let's understand how this is uh, playing out. To start with, the U.S. Commerce Department went after particularly bad actor ZTE Corp., the Chinese smartphone maker that's been in hot water with our government for years because, well, it's illegally selling American technology to Iran and then lying about it to the regulators. The executives who lied were then rewarded. So the Commerce Secretary, Wilbur Ross, decided to ban American companies from selling ZTE components or or software for the next seven years. On the one hand, ZTE definitely deserves some kind of punishment. But given the timing, this clearly seems to be about denying U.S. technology to a major Chinese firm. A couple of months ago, ZTE raised billions of dollars, billions, to build a 5G wireless network in China. And now it's going to be very difficult for them to do it because they're not going to have our stuff. The thing is, we had a pretty good pretext for going after ZTE. Then the FCC decided to move forward with this rule that would prevent many U.S. telco companies from purchasing uh, services or equipment from companies that pose a national security threat to the integrity of our communications networks. Now, you really need to read between the lines here, but my interpretation is that it's a shot at Huawei, and that's, let me just give you the spelling, it's H-U-A-W-E-I, just in case you read it and uh, haven't heard about this. Huawei is a huge Chinese company that makes smartphones and telco equipment, ZTE, and other Chinese tech companies looking to expand in America. Huawei, for example, has been trying to sell its smartphones here, but earlier this year, ATT backed out of a deal with them, probably as a concession to our government security concerns. 
memo to the White House, this is indeed how you fight a trade war. You don't make these big pronouncements that scare our allies. Just quietly use regulatory agencies to make it more difficult for our adversaries to do business here. Notice the word adversaries. Of course, two can play this game. As I mentioned earlier, this, this morning, this very morning, the Chinese Ministry of Commerce gave a pretty negative antitrust review of the Qualcomm NXP semiconductor merger, which, by the way, was announced in October 2016. And a lot of it's been held up just because of the Chinese. They've been stalling. On the merits, I've got to tell you, I thought this ruling was insane. No one was worried about antitrust issues with this deal, let alone Chinese antitrust deals uh, issues, especially since these are not Chinese companies. Qualcomm is all about cell phone technology. NXP is mainly about making chips for automobiles. Think the connected car, autonomous driving, collision avoidance. There's almost no overlap whatsoever. Hey, that's why Qualcomm did the deal, for heaven's sake. They wanted to diversify away from the cell phone makers, particularly Apple. This is pure retaliation from China. And I got to say, it's pretty chilling. If this is the new normal, if the Chinese will block any semiconductor merger, that's going to be brutal for the stocks in the group. It makes the whole cohort less valuable, as I said at the top of the show. So what happens if this keeps escalating? You know, my colleague at the street, Eric Johnson, penned a fantastic piece about this yesterday entitled How Chinese Trade and Security Tensions Could Impact U.S. Tech Companies. He points to four specific ways China could hit back. First, with M&A reviews. In fact, he specifically noted the Qualcomm NXP deal could get stalled in this trade dispute uh, until it gets resolved. Prescient. Maybe someone in the Chinese Communist Party reads the street because they moved on Qualcomm less than a day later. This means you need to worry about the prospects of any merger involving a company that does a substantial amount of business in China. Second, Johnson thinks we need to be concerned about major contracts related to 5G wireless technology and telco in general. Remember, the Trump administration is very keen on going after China for stealing American intellectual property. This is part of that. The FCC just moved to potentially block purchases of telco equipment from Chinese firms. Who's to say the Chinese government won't retaliate against our own companies? Like Cisco or Juniper. I like Cisco. I think Juniper needs to be sold. Third, Johnson notes that there are already restrictions on the export of semiconductor manufacturing equipment to China. Our companies need to apply for an exemption if they want to sell this stuff to the People's Republic. But if the trade dispute keeps up, these exemptions could be harder to come by. For example, Intel's trying to build an advanced semiconductor plant in China. But who knows if they can get it done in this environment? Finally, he points out that the Chinese government's love, the government loves to organize boycotts. Whenever tensions flare with Japan or South Korea, the Communist Party gets people to boycott Japanese and Korean products. For example, after the NSA spying uproar in 2013, there was a steep drop-off in U.S. enterprise software and telco hardware sales to Chinese companies. Hmm. We probably haven't gotten to this point yet, but as I see it, this is China's ultimate weapon. President Trump can tell people not to buy Chinese merchandise, but we live in a democracy. No one has to listen to him. When the Chinese government tells their citizens not to buy American, though, it's a very different story. Do you really want to be the one guy breaking a boycott in an authoritarian communist state? I don't think so. Remember, this boycott option could be much bigger than just tech. Some bad publicity for KFC hurts yum in China. So far, Starbucks is unscathed. Who knows? Here's the bottom line. Just because we're not talking about tariffs every day, that doesn't mean our trade dispute with China is somehow over. It's still very active. It's hot. It's just that the action has shifted to the tech front for the moment. You need to watch this very carefully, or else you might end up like the shareholders in Acacia or Claro or NXP Semi or Qualcomm. And that's a very difficult place indeed. Let's go to DT in Illinois. DT. Jim, big booyah to you. Wow, good man. What's happening? Watch you all the time. My question is uh, regarding Square. 
I'm looking for a good entry point into, you know, payment services, banking sector. Um, I just wonder if you think Square is a good investment at this point, and could it even have some extra upside with a Bitcoin play, or should I stay away from it, uh, you know, possible competition from Amazon right. or uh, anything else I should be okay, worried well, about the stock's, in this stock's space? Up 40, the stock is up uh, 46% in, in a straight line, uh, but Square is excellent. If you want to buy some, please, 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 just buy a little and maybe it comes in. And Jack Dorsey's doing a great job there now and great job in Twitter. I was critical of him, but he's doing a good job now. And I've got to tell you, Sarah Fryer, the CFO, is one of the best execs out there. So I like Square. Can we go to Sean in New Jersey? Sean. Hey, Jim. How are you? Booyah to you. How are oh, you? Thank you. I'm good. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Just want to let you know we genuinely appreciate all the all the work and the investment advice that you give to help expand awareness about the overall stock market. Really uh, you're it. terrific. I mean, I look, it's a hard job. I made a mistake yesterday in Skechers. I got to point out the mistakes in order to be able to take it seriously on the ones I do right. But thank you so much. You make me feel good. What's going on? That's it. Uh, so Air Products, I got APD. I'm curious to know. They recently um, opened up and expanded hydrogen dispensers over to China. I was wondering if you thought that they had any exposure as far as a potential trade war. I know mm-hmm. they scaled back on the tariffs, but also I know you mentioned before young hedge fund managers looking to go into alternative uh, energy other than natural gas, if you thought there was any potential risk as well. And what the just overall potential upside could be for the company in the stock. The stock has done well over the years. They have flexible finances. Look, and I, I, and I remember, I, I think Air, Air Products is one of those companies, by the way. It's a neighboring company where I grew up. It has always been good if, for a little but It does look. But what we're doing uh, with uh, Action Alerts Plus is we're looking. We're telling club members if any company has outsized exposure to China, be careful. Air Products does have some Chinese exposure. So all I can say is be careful. It's a tough time right now. The trade war has shifted to tech. You need to watch this very carefully. You're going to end up like the shareholders of Acacia or Clara or NXP Semi or Qualcomm. Thank heavens we sold that NXP for my charitable trust. I'd be crying here today. Much more mad money ahead. Steel has been a hot topic uh, thanks to Trump's tariffs. But what is a company like Newcore seeing in the space? The biggest and the best. I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then United Rentals is falling today despite reporting an earnings beat of actually Great magnitude. I'm going to sit down with the CEO, get the bottom of the move. What's going on? And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Maybe Comcast could buy something else, too. Never know. They could buy another cable company if they wanted. (laughs) I got a couple in mind. When we swing, we tend to swing hard. Yeah, it's true. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. This is market lost its mind. This morning, Nucor, the big domestic steelmaker, reports a very solid quarter. Gives an incredibly rosy forecast. And it's not just because of President Trump's steel tariffs, because they haven't even really kicked in yet. And what happens? The stock goes down. These tariffs are going to be incredibly positive for the steel industry. But Nucor shares are flat since the announcement. And Wall Street doesn't seem to care about this quarter. The company just posted a one-cent earnings beat off $1.09 basis, higher than expected revenue, up 16% year-over-year. But it's the guidance that has me excited. Nucor says its earnings in the second quarter are, and I'm quoting, expected to increase significantly compared to the first quarter. Steel mill margins and profits in March were, again quoting, by far the strongest in the first quarter, meaning the tariffs may be beginning to work. 
What more do you need to hear? Look, don't take it from me. Let's let's talk to John Ferriola. He's the chairman and CEO of Nucor. Learn more about the quarter and his company's prospects now that our government's finally doing something to level the playing field. Mr. Ferriola, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. How are you? All right, John. Now, I want to be sure about something. You gave a rosy forecast. But what happens if our government does not back up the strong talk that it's had that's trying to make it so we have fair trade? Well, it'd be extremely disappointing. You know, we need the president to fulfill his commitment. We must not let the date of May 1st slip any further. Frankly, his credibility and the credibility of America is on the line here. So we expect him to do what he has promised to do. We expect him to honor the date of May 1st and install either tariffs or quotas to those countries that haven't been able to negotiate a separate agreement on that date. Do you think that the U.S. economy is strong enough that Nucor can still do terrifically even without these, even though, as you and I both know, there's still a lot of dumping going on? Oh, there's absolutely a lot of dumping going on, Jim. You know, in the first quarter of this year, uh, imports took about 25 percent of the market share in our first quarter. And to your earlier question about can Nucor do well despite what happens with 232, and the answer is absolutely yes. All you need to do is to look back at our performance last year, but particularly in the first quarter when we were operating in an, in an environment in which imports still took 25% of the market, we operated at 92% capacity utilization. We had a very solid quarter. Uh, just about all of our cylinders of our great company are, are running full steam. We had a good quarter. Our teammates did an outstanding job. John, one of the things that I keep hearing people say, well, you know what? These tariffs, the price of steel is going to shoot up. Now, there is tremendous demand, but there is this notion out there which says that there's going to be a huge shortage. Would there really be a shortage of steel? There's going to be no shortage of steel, Jim. People can get steel. If they want to bring steel in, if they need to bring steel in, they can bring it in. They simply have to pay a fair market price when they bring it in. I like to tell people when they say there's going to be a shortage of steel, I tell them there will be no shortage of steel. Now, there might be a shortage of dumped or illegally traded steel, but there will not be a, there will not be a shortage of steel. People can get it. They can bring it in. They pay the tariff. They bring it to a market price, and they can use the steel. We visited a plant in Louisiana with you, uh, which had a novel way to be able to make steel. You also have one offshore. Uh, how is that doing now? Because we always thought that that could be an incredibly lucrative plant for Nucor. It's been doing very, very well. We had a great first quarter at that plant. It's our DRI plant. Uh, we faced some challenges when we started up, and we still have some challenges that we're going to have to face down the line. But we've been focusing on the three key elements of a successful plant operation, people, the process, and the equipment. We ran in the first quarter. The first quarter of our DRI plant was the second best quarter in its, in its history in terms of production, in terms of uh, profitability, and uh, in, in terms of uh, operating utilization rates. So shipments were up, production was up, it was, uh, and, and frankly, uh, profitability was up very well in the first quarter. So it's running better. And frankly, it's had a big impact for our company on being able to limit the amount of prime scrap we've had to buy, allowing us to control our scrap costs. All right, John, one last question. You've got a number of projects at work. You've got some tremendous demand. You're, you, you're operating 92 percent. What are the hottest areas for Nucor right now that are going to be really good that you felt so confident about saying that the second quarter is going to be great? 
Well, probably the, the hottest markets that we have, and I, I should start by saying, frankly, all of our markets, including our downstream markets, are doing very, very well. Strong backlogs, a good pricing. Uh, but when you look at in terms of our best operating business units right now, I would say it's our flat products, uh, plate, sheet products. Uh, our long products are a little bit more challenged, but they're doing well. Uh, particularly our structural uh, business is doing very, very well in the first quarter. But what excites me is when I look into the second quarter, what I see in terms of the pricing and demand volumes increasing as we went through the first quarter and continuing into the second quarter, we see a very strong backlog quarter, order entry quarter, and an improvement in our margins in the second quarter. Well, let's leave it at that, John. And I hope the government backs up what they said they're going to do because it's such a great thing to have big manufacturers open new plants and create the lowest cost deal in the world if we just give them a chance. That's John Furrier, Chairman, President, and CEO of Nucor, a company that I have liked literally since it came public. May have money's back after the break. It is time! Time for the Lightning Round. Are you ready, Skig? Daddy, time for the Lightning Round. Let's start with Austin in Texas. Austin! Hey, Jim. I'm a college student, and this is my second time calling the show. Uh, thanks, Jim, for everything you do. Uh, my dad and I talk about your show almost every day, and we love your passion for investing. I am thrilled. I am thrilled to hear that. What's the stock? Uh, it's Grubhub, D-R-U-V. You know uh, what? I, I, I've been riding this Grubhub for a long time, and I, I've read a couple of downgrades, and I am getting a little I, – I, you know, look, bulls make money, uh, bears make money, but pigs – so, no. Robert in California. Robert. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, I bought some stock in Sprint a couple months ago. Should I keep it? Or uh, I, I would swap out into T-Mobile. I think that – uh, I think Ledger's going to have a better quarter. Let's go to Florence in New York. Florence! Hi, thanks for taking my call. So, LGI Homes, should I build or should I go? Oh, you know what? I, I Everyone's blasting the home builders because of higher rates and they're very low and because of lumber. I have to tell you, I like Lenore. I saw Stuart Miller on just retiring. That's one of my favorites. I also like Toll Brothers. Let's go to Sanjay in Connecticut. Sanjay! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Big fan of yours and appreciate all the teachings and information from this show. In December 2017, you had talked about a pharmaceutical company called Acardia Pharmaceutical. Right. Bought a few shares at that time, but recently it has dropped more than 25%. What is your guidance I, for I this You stock? know what I saw? I mean, yeah, we had a big run and I should have said ring the register, but then I got to tell you something. Uh, that CNN report was so devastating. I, I, I don't want to touch this one now. I mean, it's just a devastating report. Let's go to Thomas in North Carolina, please. Thomas. Hey, hi, Jim. Who are you? Thomas in North Carolina, born in Philly and raised. Go Eagles. Go Look, Birds. Uh, I purchased Pilgrim Pride back at the end of December for $31. It seems to have fallen tremendously since, but I'm looking three to five years out. Oh, man, you What's got a lot. There's it? so many things wrong with that thing right now. But if you think three to five years out, I'd rather own Tyson that one, to be honest. I think Tyson's better run. Let's go to Jackson in Indiana. Jackson. Hey, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm not bad. How about you? Pretty good. Um, I was wondering uh, what your thoughts were on J.B. Hunt and a pretty uh, strong trucking industry. I thought Jamie Hunt reported a terrific quarter. Other people were saying it was ho-hum. The stock went up. I'm a st- I stick with it. 
Let's go to Steve in New York. Steve. Yes. Go ahead, Steve. Hello? Yes, Steve, you're up. It's Jim. Oh, hey, Jim. Uh, this is Steve from Long Island. Okay. Uh, first of all, thanks for all of your insight and for navigating us through the maze. We oh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Making some mistakes here, but I appreciate that. I like that. What's up? <laughs> okay, about a year and a half ago, you uh, recommended um, uh, a stock called Opco. And um, I think it was like a pharmaceutical company. And uh, I bought it uh, at like 8 or about $8. It went all the way up to 20 And I actually I sold it on a day that it did phenomenal. Then it went back down to 9 so I jumped in again. Then it went to 7 I jumped in again. And now it's down at 3 Yeah, I mean, Phil What's Frost has got to come on. What can I tell you? I've been waiting for Phil Frost to come on and be able to tell people it's right to buy. But he hasn't. When he does, we can really reconfigure. Let's go to Fred in Ohio. Fred. Booyah, Jimmy. How are you? I am good. How about you, Fred? What's up? Doing well. Doing well. Love your show. Thanks for all you do for us investors up here, buddy. Really appreciate it. Love your knowledge and the books. They're great. Love them. Thank you. All right. Hey, international paper. Is it time to buy? What's going on there, You know, the stock has come down big. I kind of regard it as an Amazon play. It's a good trade on on world uh, commerce. A lot of people feel world commerce is going to slow down. A lot of different cross-currents because of tariffs. I say IP at these prices is a very good buy. I'd love to see Mr. Sutton come back. How about we go to Mike in Wisconsin? Mike, Mike, Mike. Hey, Jim Booyah from Maribel, Wisconsin. I want to tell you, I made chicken booyah over a wood fire, and you have a standing invitation to join us for some anytime. What a nice uh, offer. The stock I'm interested in. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to go to Bar San Miguel. Maybe this would be more fun. What's going on? Uh, the question's about Alaska Airlines. I've owned it about six months, and I'd like to get your take on it. You know, it used to be the best. Uh, then they made that acquisition, and we haven't really uh, gone back to it. Um, the acquisition was just uh, not great, and uh, I can't uh, recommend the stock here. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm well, doing yeah. well. How about you? Pretty good. Just wanted to say thank you for everything you do and all your advice. We love you up here in Buffalo, New York. Oh, man, like my friends at B-Bath, long-suffering Buffaloans. What's yeah, going on? go Bills. Go Bills. I like the I Bills. I got a question about Winnebago. I took a position a couple of months ago, uh, and the stocks went down some. Do you think there's further downside, or are we at the bottom? Should yeah, I pick th- up more? This group trades so, so badly. Uh, I mean, I just keep hearing glut, glut, glut in the last six weeks. Glut. I gotta find someone who dispel the glut or I can't push it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Told you it was a ball confusion day. I mean, you gotta ask, what the heck happened to the stock of United Rentals? Here's a high quality equipment rental company that I've been recommending for ages. Just this week, I told you it was a much better buy than Caterpillar. And what happens? Well, last night, United Rentals reports what I thought was a real good quarter. Company delivered a monster 41 cent earnings beat off of 246 basis, higher than expected revenues up nearly 28%. Holy cow, those are strong numbers. They even announced a $1.25 billion buyback, and they got a debt upgrade today. Yet the stock got slammed and tumbled $11.78 or 6.5%. Why? Well, maybe uh, because management decided not to raise its full-year guidance despite the huge beat. 
Uh, maybe this made investors nervous that the rest of the year might not be as good as the first quarter, even though they didn't actually tell you anything about a slowdown. So did the market make a mistake? Are you getting a rare opportunity to buy a stock that has almost tripled in the last two years? Or maybe there's some reason to be concerned. Let's check in with Mike Nealon, the CEO of United Rentals, sort out what actually happened with this quarter. Mr. Nealon, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Mike. Have a seat. Good to see you, Jim. Thank you. All right, so I'm going to get a vacuum. I'm reading through the conference call, and I'm saying, you know what? These guys, same-store sales up big, volume up big, non-residential great, industrial great, oil and gas. And then I look at the stock, and I say, well, okay, stock's wrong or I'm wrong. I'm I'm betting that I'm not wrong. Tell me your depiction of what you think happened with this quarter. Well, I think what happened this quarter was I was very pleased with it. Uh, number one, we re- achieved three critical things I think is very fundamental to our industry. Number one, we, we saw rates improve. We saw used pricing improve. And on top of that, we saw time. Time was down a little tick. Right. That, that freaked people out. But uh, you know, you, there are a lot of reasons why that could be. But that, that, that's the second highest level we've ever had in this first quarter. So I don't know how the overreaction or the reaction on the marketplace. I can only tell you that what we see in the market is a really solid 2018, 20, the whole year looks very solid for us. Well, then should you have raised guidance? Well, we don't. We don't raise guidance in the first quarter. Okay. You know it's a seasonal aspect to our business. Right. First quarter being the lowest. Uh, the next 45 days into the second quarter is going to be the most critical for us. Right. And as we think about that, we'll make the adjustments if we see it. But I can tell you what we see. It gives us a lot of confidence uh, on our guidance that we've given for the full year. And you, that's a real buyback. You didn't announce a buyback to be able to say if it gets to 130, we're going to be a buyer, something like that. No, we've, this is, we've already achieved several buybacks. And we've already done $2.3 billion worth of buybacks. It's really our capital allocation and the excess cash flow that we have. Okay, now one, then I start thinking, okay, well, maybe someone's worried that the tariffs are raising the price of steel, which then makes it so that you have to pay too much for your equipment. But you get it back on the back end. If you sell it, you got good rates. So I don't think, I thought that was uh, a nonsensical reason that I, that I heard today about why your stock got hit. You know, we haven't, uh, we haven't seen it. Uh, to your point, uh, we have great relationships with our vendors. We negotiate well in advance, and we secure our, our purchases for the full year. Uh, so it's not going to affect us. Okay. Now, I like something that I, I wanted to point out that these analysts don't. You have a competitive positioning slide, and it says investments in technology. I mean, all the companies I follow that are doing much better than everybody else, they invest in technology, they have big data. What are you doing in technology that's making so you're making so much money? So for us, we started out with, with telematics. We had to put telematics on our total fleet. Uh, that came at a cost, not only a cost to, to install it, but it's actually a cost on an annual basis. And it does what for, for viewers now? It, it does a lot of different things. One, it eliminates any kind of waste trying to locate a piece of equipment. It identifies uh, whether it's low on fuel, uh, whether it needs service. So it helps us, but it also helps our customers, more importantly. Okay, now you have a consensus forecast for U.S. construction put in place, but I see some of these numbers. Uh, I think you're doing much better than a lot of these markets. Oil and gas has been super free, right? 
Uh, it's been super, but I can tell you right now, uh, what used to be about 11% of our business is only about less than 6% of our business. Uh, still growing, right. but it shows the fundamentals that it's, uh, the economy is still solid. But non-residential, terrific, right? Uh, non-residential is doing exceptionally well. You know, I, okay, so look, you've answered my questions. I, you know, I think that a lot of times what, what happened, Mike, it's been a great stock. And there are people who always think, like I heard all day today, it's got to be over. It's been too good. It doesn't, right? No, it doesn't. I mean, if you look at all the leading indicators, all of them, they're either at record highs or damn close to it. Right. And I will tell you that everything I see is going to point to a solid year. And, and don't, don't have to listen to me. Listen to my competitors. They're saying the same thing. Well, I mean, it does come down to, in the end, we, it's empirical. That same store sales figure. You just have to explain to people how much better it is than what you thought than last year at this time. Oh, I mean, again... Getting rates in Q1, uh, where, it's our, where it's our weakest time in the season, is to me a, a telltale sign. Right. Well, look, I'm so glad you came on because, yeah, I, you spend that when I announce, that, for instance, that you're on tonight, and I'm seeing people posting, well, this is it, he got it wrong, this and that. No, stocks can be wrong. It's been wrong a long time. We've seen that. And what it's done, it's tripled. That's Mike Deal, CEO of United Rentals. I'm sticking by it, okay? I am sticking by what I said about CAT and URI. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you, Jim. The earnings are relentless. But Kramer has burned the midnight oil, and he's ready to run the gauntlet. All week, Kramer sits down with some of the market's most influential C-suite players. Join Mad Money for must-see interviews you can't afford to miss. I don't think the consumer product stocks are done going down yet. Their yields are measly versus a 10-year trading at three. So I want you to remain careful and vigilant if you own any of those stocks, unless you want them for the long term, because you think that the brands will always be there. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.